Take your Bibles, turn to Luke 22. Luke 22. Let me set the table. I'm going to do the whole service today about this because here's the deal, guys. Next week, whew, next two weeks, I got two messages for you. It's a part, two, two-parter that I'm finishing called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. All right, good. Some Clint Eastwood fans in the room. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, Genesis 18 and particularly Genesis 19, one of the most controversial passages in all the Bible. wasn't controversial, by the way. For nearly 2,000 years, but it is the lead up and then the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Y'all heard about that, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's been some heinous misteaching on that. We're going to dig into it. We're going to teach it right. We're going to teach it in accordance with God's word and way and God's heart, but there's some good things in the account leading up to it, and then there's some of the most twisted, weird, perverse stuff you've ever heard in your life leading up to, in, in the story. I mean, some really really bad stuff. I'm going to give you a warning right now. If you have really young children, um, you need to consider whether you want them in the room. I will not be graphic, guys. I've been here nearly five years. I hope you know my heart. I will never be graphic or perverse. I will never do anything to make you intentionally uncomfortable, but that is a graphic, perverse story. I mean, there's some really bad, non-consensual stuff going on. There's some gang stuff going on. You following me? There's incest going on. There's some really tough subjects. So it's going to be worse than circumcision. I'm just going to tell you right now. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, the next two weeks. But man, have I been, uh, I've been wrestling with this. And I've been, I've really taken a month to struggle through and wrestle with this particular text. I want to do it the right way. And no, listen to me now, this is not a bash on the LGBTQ plus community. That's not, if you're expecting to come and just hear me bash, you're going to be disappointed. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to speak the truth in love. And I am going to say what's going on in the text. And we are going to talk through it. We're going to walk through it together over a couple of weeks, at least two, maybe three. But the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, so let me set the table here. Nearly every time we have celebrated the Lord's Supper together, I've shared a few key things about the bread with you. Stick it up on the screen, guys, and let me show you this. This is sort of like unleavened bread, right? We've talked about this. Um, So what are the characteristics? Well, it's unleavened, no yeast, so it's flat. It doesn't rise. It is pierced. It is bruised. It is striped. Unleavened bread, and we call it matzah today. That's not actual matzah. It's typically made today in a square form. This is just kind of an oval. But this is what you'll see me use in a moment. And um, it comes from, think about this, Isaiah 53, 4 to 6. Jesus uh, is fulfilling these verses when he dies for our sin. He says, surely he, the Messiah, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded, or the word in Hebrew, pierced. Now, I want you to look at that bread. Think about the Lord holding it in his hand. He was pierced for our transgressions. And what did he say about that bread? This is my, what? Body. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Then he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In a few minutes, we Christians are encouraged to eat this bread, so take in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you eat it, you're remembering the curse, the wages of sin is death, and you're remembering the cure, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're remembering the curse, 
and you're remembering the cure. And when you think about it, the fruit of Eden's tree, the Garden of Eden, the fruit of that tree, which represented disobedience and sin, brought certain death. But the fruit of Calvary's tree, what is Calvary's tree? The cross. The fruit of Calvary's tree, which is Christ himself, brings hope and peace and eternal life. You have two trees, two different kinds of fruit. One brings death, one brings life. Which are you going to eat? Well, you didn't have any choice through your first parents. You and I both ate the fruit of Eden's tree. We both were born in sin. All of us have sinned. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone hath turned to his own way. And God hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. All of us are in the same boat. And the boat is sinking. You might even say the boat is sunk. But today, today, I was led to do this one-off message because I'm preaching last week the fact that freedom isn't free. And I got to thinking, man, one of the greatest pictures of freedom happens at the Lord's table. But most of us Christians, Western Christians, have missed it because we don't understand the communion cups. So we're going to take time today to focus on the cups. Yes, plural, cups, with this message, redeemed. It's one of the most beautiful words in the English language, redeemed. When I think of the word redeemed, two songs immediately come to mind. And I was struggling with which one to do, so I just said I'm going to do them both. Fanny Crosby, an American missionary, poet, lyricist, composer, prolific hymnist, wrote more than 8,000 hymns and gospel songs, over 100 million copies of her songs in print. And one of her greatest came from 1882. That's a long time ago. 1882, more than 140 years ago, but the words still ring true. You remember Fanny Crosby? Just in infancy, the doctor misapplied some potion like a mustard poultice on her eyes, and she was blinded, and she never saw again. She's seeing perfectly now. But she wrote this, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. I don't know if y'all can get that, but I kind copied out of the hymnal because I used to lead it out of that old hymnal. Redeemed, how I loved him. Have y'all ever heard that? Do you know the chorus of that? Anybody ever sang it? Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. Y'all know that old hymn? That's a good one. That's a good one. And then there's a guy named Mike Weaver. We know him better as Big Daddy Weave. He released another song about the very same subject exactly 130 years later. In 2012, the song came out. I know that y'all have heard this. He said, seems like all I could see was the struggle. Haunted by ghosts that lived in my past. You've heard that, right? Bound up in shackles of all of my failures, wondering how long is this going to last. Then you look at this prisoner, man, this is good, and say to me, son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. Man. What's he saying, y'all? I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains and wipe away every stain. No, I'm not who I used to be. Why? Because I am redeemed. Ain't that good? 
and that is good. I was that guy. I was that guy. Son, son, stop fighting a fight. It's already been won. I'm redeemed. I'm set free. I'm bought back from the slave market of sin. But all my life, when I've been in church and I've been seeing communion happen before I got saved, and then I got saved and I started to, got baptized, started partaking, I've always wondered why we do certain things and why the preacher never talked about certain things. So it's like a little boy. He was in church. They're celebrating Lord's Supper. The bread comes around. The cup comes around. His mama leans over and says, no, honey, you're not ready yet. You can't take that. And he's looking at her and he's looking at the bread. He's like, well, I'm hungry. I'm ready to have some of that. She said, no, 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 you're not taking it. And then a little later in the service, y'all know what we used to do, right? They passed the offering plate. And so it gets to the little boy, and the mama says, now, sweetie, go ahead, put your dollar in. He said, I ain't doing it. She said, baby, give your offering. He said, if I don't eat, I don't pay. <laughs> he didn't get it, right? You ain't got to pay to eat here today. Listen, I've had a question in my mind from childhood. I remember from childhood having a question about Luke's account of this narrative of Jesus in the Last Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper. And nobody, to my recollection, ever explained to me what's up. It took until I was an adult in seminary, and one of who became my buddy, one of my friends, did a Passover Seder. He was a Jew. He got saved, so he's a Christian Jew or Messianic Jew or different labels. But the guy got saved, and he did a Seder for us. A Seder in Hebrew means order of worship. We are going to do one of those here. We just got to figure out the logistics to seat you around tables. I want to do it the right way. I want to do a Passover meal with you. I want to have a Messianic Jewish person come in and lead it and teach us. But this is the first time I knew this. So what is going on? Well, if you're in Luke 22, you remember that this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread called Passover. I'm just looking at verse 1. And Moses instituted it way back, Exodus chapter 12. Remember, they were getting released from Pharaoh's hand. God had brought nine plagues. He was going to bring a tenth, the death of the firstborn. And God said, you're going to kill the lamb. You're going to apply its blood to the doorpost and lintel of your house. When I see the blood, I will pass over. By the way, he never stopped. He never knocked on the door. He never looked inside and said, hey, is everybody under the blood worthy? He knows the answer is no. You're not worthy to be saved. You're not good enough, smart enough, go to church enough, give enough, good looking enough. You're not tall enough like me. No, you're not. He never stopped to look inside to see who was worthy. The lamb was slain. The lamb made them worthy. You follow me? And so the blood was applied. And then in that plague, God taught. He said, look, you're going to have to leave so quick your bread won't even rise. Keep the leaven out. Leaven would later symbolize sin. Take out the leaven. And then you get ready. And I'm going to bring you out. And I'm going to watch pass over those who are under the blood. And today, when sin and Satan try to come and attack you and enslave you and take you back to the slave market of sin, no, 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 no. If you're under the blood of Jesus, they must pass over. They cannot touch you. They cannot lay a hand on you. But preparation for the Passover begins, and then we're going to pick up with what happens and see if you can catch the strange talk about the cup. It's mentioned more than once, and there's more than one cup mentioned. Why? Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read 14 to whatever it says up on the screen. 14 to 20. 14 to 20. Okay. 
When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And Jesus said to them, With fervent desire I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I'll no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Meaning this is the last year, the last time we're going to have this celebration together, guys. Now watch. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. You said, no, wait a minute, preacher. I've been doing communion all my life and we always do the bread first. I know, I know. Watch what happens. Takes the cup, gives it, has thanks, take, divide. For I say to you, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to him and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise... He also took the cup after supper. What? Saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. He didn't say circumcision or baptism or any other rite or ritual was the new covenant. He said, this, this is the new covenant. This representation of my blood is the new covenant shed for you. And behold... Uh, and then he goes on, my betrayer's with me, and the Son of Man goes. Let's talk about those cups for a while. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for leading us to this place on this day and this hour. That we can just put all the distractions out of our hearts and minds for a few moments. Let us not think on anything else other than what it means to partake of the Lord's Supper together. What does this mean for us who call ourselves brothers and sisters, Christians, followers of Christ, disciples. What does this mean? Teach us, oh God, by your word and spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, thank you and be seated. So, okay, it says in verse 17, then he took the cup. Hmm. Well, what about the first cup taken here? Well, let me give you... A quick overview. These points are going to come rapid. So if you've got your grace notes, get them out. Get your pencil, your pen, your lipstick, your mascara, whatever you take notes with. Let's go. Get it ready. So there are four cups that would have been around the table. Now later, later, there are going to be five cups. I'm going to tell you about the fifth one at the end if we have time. I think we will. We'll. So what about this? The four cups of Passover are an integral part of the celebration. They stand for the four promises the Lord makes to his people back in Exodus 6, 6, and 7. Now just listen to this. Let me read it for you. So therefore, to the people of Israel, you're going to say this, Moses. So God says, Moses, tell my people this, I am the Lord. I will bring you out of the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. Now the people, the Jewish people thought, man, that is so important. We have got to have a way to memorialize that. We have got to have a way to remember that. So when they instituted the Lord's Supper, I'm sorry, when they instituted Passover thereafter, the first one was Passover, but then they would celebrate it annually, and then it went away for a long part of Jewish history, and then it came back. So when they began to celebrate the later years, how do we remember all of these great promises God made us? They did it with four cups. Really five, but we'll get to it. Four cups. So write this down. The first cup represents sanctification. 
sanctification. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. What does it mean to be sanctified? It just means to be set apart. It just means to be separated. So the Seder begins with a blessing recited over the first four cups of wine. I know, Baptists, that's going to make some of y'all uncomfortable. It was wine. Get over it. Wine. In the first cup of wine, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who hath created the fruit of the vine. What did Jesus do? He blessed the first cup. You bless this. You ask God to touch. You thank God for it. And then the participants sang Psalms 113 and 114. These are called the Hallel Psalms. Hallel in Hebrew means praise. When we say Hallelujah, what we're singing is you. That's the you in the middle. Literally you. You, Yah, Yahweh, the Lord, praise. You praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallel Psalms are all praising the Lord. And so in this praise of God, the first cup indicates Jesus' time of eating and drinking with his disciples would come to an earthly end. They would be separated for a while until they celebrated together in heaven or until Jesus comes back to set up his rule and reign on earth. He says to us, there's going to be a separation. So that's what's going on. The second cup we don't see. In the Gospels. Remember, the narrative doesn't tell us everything. Some of y'all want the Bible to tell you everything you want to know. Doesn't do that. Tells you everything you need to know. And so the second cup is not mentioned, but the second cup represents suffering and deliverance. Suffering and or deliverance. He says this in Exodus. God said, I will rescue you from their bondage. This cup reminds the Jews of the ten plagues and the suffering, of the Egypt, suffering under the Egyptians when the, they hardened their heart to the Lord. Now, he doesn't want us to rejoice over the suffering of enemies. Proverbs 24, 17 tells us that. But here's what the Jews would do in their Seder, in their order of worship. We call it Lord's Supper. They're doing Seder, but here's what they would do. They would spill a drop of wine as they recite each of the ten plagues. They would drop. And what they're saying is that um, my joy, I'm, lo I'm losing my wine here. My joy is diminished when others are suffering. So they're not gloating. The purpose of Passover Seder is not to gloat. Yay, look at what God did. You filthy Egyptians. That's not the idea. It's that, that they were lost too. They were blinded too. They needed the one true and living God too. And so we're acknowledging the suffering of the Egyptians, because they lost a lot of their firstborn, they had a lot of issues with the plagues, lost a lot of people, and we're praising God for deliverance. Now, we're going to skip the third cup, so I'm about to make some of y'all wig out. Number three, the fourth cup represents praise note. Now, some of y'all got ahead of me and put third in there already because you thought you were smart. <laughs> Just wait for me, wait for me. I know that looks weird. You got the number three, and then you see the fourth cup. I know. You want to go home and fix that. It's okay. The fourth cup represents praise and hope. The fourth cup. It's a beautiful cup because God said in Exodus, I will take you as my people. This is the cup of Hallel. This is the cup of praise. This is mentioned in John 17. Jesus took time in the high priestly prayer to thank the Lord at the end of the Passover meal, to praise God, to say, you are my hope, you are my deliverer, and you are the deliverer for everyone who will trust you. The fourth cup celebrates the coming kingdom of Christ, the Messiah. And after drinking it, guess what they do? The participants close by singing a hymn. There's actually one little thing I'm going to sneak in there too, but... 
they close traditionally by singing a hymn and then they go out. And this is exactly what happened the night our Lord was betrayed. They sang together. They went out to the mount called Olive. And there where they have an area, a garden called Olive Press, Gethsemane, where they have an olive press or a setup for olive pressing to make the oil and all of that, this is where Jesus prays. He takes the three inner circle. He goes and he prays. So now, what is our cup? What is the cup you hold in your hands or have near you somewhere? What is this cup all about? And I know they were not individually wrapped and sealed and all of that, but in representative form, what is this cup? This is the third cup. The third cup is the cup of redemption. Redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. This is the cup that comes right after the meal. The fourth cup comes at the tail end of the entire celebration. This cup comes right after the meal. And at this point, the participants sing the rest of the Hallel, Psalms 115 to 118. Remember, that was just their songbook, guys. That was just like you and I taking our hymn book back in the day, or if you had a worship book today, and just opening it up and saying, okay, we're going to praise and worship now. That's what they did, singing those particular songs. And it is the third cup that Jesus blesses and transforms as part of the Lord's Supper. So I just said it this way. This cup of the new covenant is our communion cup. I had somebody asking me a couple of weeks ago about baptizing their baby. And I explained to them we don't do that because we don't believe that baptism is the sign of the new covenant. The spilled blood of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus ushers in the new covenant. The shed, which says this, I don't have to do anything. No religious rite, no ritual, no this, no that. I don't do a thing. Everything for my salvation and my relationship with God Almighty above has been done by the Lord Jesus Christ. He secured my salvation and he redeemed me with his mighty hand. And the cup of redemption reminds us of the shed blood of the innocent lamb that brought redemption all the way back out of Egypt. And so he took the third cup. That context, that concept is repeated by Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. It says this, in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Not just any cup. The cup of redemption from slavery to freedom. Now, y'all think about what happened here. Think about it. We're studying Abraham, right? God set apart for himself a people. They were weak. They were few. They came through the most unlikely places, through the womb of a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man. But God set up this new covenant people through Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, who wrestles with God and is renamed Israel. And so God is, and then has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. God sets all of this up. But the Bible says that even though they had come to Egypt because Joseph was there, Joseph delivered them, there arose a Pharaoh that did not know God and did not respect the Jewish people. So God made them. God sustained them. It wasn't that God forgot them. But through the natural course of sin and wickedness on the world, a leader arose who enslaved them. 
He did not care for them. He did not love them. He enslaved them. And for 400-ish years, they cried out, and they cried out, and they cried out. And then God would raise up a deliverer, a mediator named Moses. An unlikely sort of guy, a stutterer, one that wasn't good at speaking, but God gave him help like Aaron, gave him assistance. And God said, I'm going to redeem you, buy you back. Now, guys... We can keep going with the narrative, and you know what happens. He does buy them back, and they still sin, and they wander, and et cetera, et cetera. But eventually, a generation later, they make the promised land. Now, here's the deal. Same thing happened to you. Same thing. You were created by a holy God in his image. You did not just happen. You did not emerge from primordial sludge or slime. You are too fearfully and wonderfully made. You are too complex and intricate. And your systems could not develop through time, chance, and matter, and even natural selection. We've talked a lot about that, so I'll not rehash. But a loving God made you from the moment of conception. And he knitted you together in your mother's womb. And then God brought you forth, but even then you were born in sin. You say, but I had not even sinned yet. Yeah, but because of the representative headship of our first father, Adam, we had all sinned. And nobody had to teach you how to sin. I have four kids and two grandkids. I know nobody had to teach them how to sin. They are dirty, rotten little sinners that I love to death, but they are little sinners. And you don't have to teach them. No offense, Lucy, you're sweet. But here's the thing. You know and I know we stumble in many ways. We sin, we displease God with thoughts, words, actions, and even inaction, which is sin. And so we all are separated from God. And that means we're enslaved. We are slaves to sin. But what Jesus does in communion, what he does at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, is he says, I want you to take this. This is my body. This is my blood. And in taking this, you acknowledge, do you accept my then coming sacrifice for these guys, coming sacrifice, and for us, you accept my finished sacrifice, my completed sacrifice, my tetelestai, paid in full sacrifice. You accept it. And this is the new covenant. This is the cup of redemption. There were all of these covenants, Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, right? We've looked at covenants, but what difference does this new covenant make to me? It means that when I take in Jesus, not just this, this won't do it, guys. This is just symbolic to indicate what's already happened. Just like baptismal water won't cleanse you nor save you. It's just symbolic to show what's already happened. Like this wedding ring, it's just symbolic to show what's already happened. She is still my wife with or without it to the glory of God. But this is a sign and this is a sign. But it is an important and powerful and vivid sign. God's changing me from within. He's delivered me and continues to deliver me. And rather than being merely physically delivered, we are forever spiritually set free through the sacrificial death, burial, resurrection, the great deliverance provided in Christ. See, Jesus Messiah sanctifies us. He sets us apart. 
He delivers us. They'll know the truth and the truth will set them free. He redeems us. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we may be adopted as sons and daughters of the king. Man, that's good. I don't care who you are. It's Galatians 4. All these references are in your notes. And then he says, Jesus our Messiah is our praise and our hope and our joy. The Lord himself said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. But I told you there was a fifth cup, and this is the one that breaks my heart for the Jewish people today. For my friends who are still Jews and have never trusted Jesus as their Messiah, they do have a fifth cup at their annual Passover Seder. That's called Elijah's cup. A place setting is put at the table for the Orthodox Jew that remains empty. And it's a place setting for the most honored guest at every Passover meal, the great prophet Elijah. You see, the Jewish people expect Elijah to come at Passover and announce the coming of Messiah. And the New Testament teaches us very clearly who this is. The New Testament equates a man to Elijah. What's his name? John the the Baptist. One is coming In the power and in the spirit of Elijah, he is the Elijah figure. He is the forerunner, the announcer, the proclaimer of the Lord. But at a Jewish Passover meal, a place is set and a cup is filled with wine, and hearts are expectant for Elijah to come and announce, Messiah's here, Messiah's here. But you know what happens? Do you know what's happened for 2,000 years? The end of the Seder meal, a little child is sent to the door to open it. And to see if Elijah is indeed there. And every year, the child closes the door. And he comes back to his Jewish family's table, disappointed, heartbroken. And without touching it, the wine chalice is taken and poured out. Because in the mind of the Jew, God has yet to fulfill his promise. And yet, my brothers and my sisters... You and I know that Elijah in the person of John the Baptist has come. You and I know that he has announced, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. You and I know that God kept every one of his promises and he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to walk our dusty streets, to be mocked and spit on and nailed by us. And Jesus went all the way paying the price for our sin, covering not only sin and shame, cleansing us then and now and forever. He was buried, but the grave could not hold him because we have a great God. And if you will just trust him today, believe in him today, you said, but I don't understand it all. I'm not asking you to understand it all, nor is God himself. He is saying, receive, believe, trust, be saved, be born again. And then after that, you will tell the world, I am born again through your believer's baptism. And you will be ready to partake of the bread and the cup, the cup of redemption. I am Set free. Free indeed. I want to close before we take the cup, the bread and the cup, and I want to recall a story. I've shared it a few times over the years preaching. I was reminded of it at the Southern Baptist Convention this year. A guy guy that was speaking shared this story in a variant form, but he shared this story 
I've always loved it because it's something that sounds like it could have happened in my childhood. There's a guy named Timmy, a little fellow named Timmy. He carried his new boat to the edge of the river. He had worked hard on that little boat. He had built it and crafted it with his own hands, and he placed it in the water, and he slowly let out the string that was attached to his little boat to see how it would sail, and it was so beautiful and so smooth, and little Timmy was holding his string. He'd pull his little boat back and then let the current take it on down, and He sat there in the warm sunshine admiring that little boat built by his own hand. And suddenly a strong current came along and caught that little boat. And Timmy went to tug it back and his little string broke. And there it took off. And that little fellow tore down the riverbank running as fast as he could and as far as he could. But his boat went faster than his legs. And so finally... Little Timmy was so disappointed, he searched and searched and searched, thinking maybe he got caught in a rock or a tree or whatever, but never was able to find that little boat. It was too dark, so Timmy went home, despondent, downhearted. A few days later, he's coming back from school, he's going through their little town, and in the pawn shop window, there it was, Timmy's boat. He knew it immediately. I mean, he had worked on it for days and days and days, and he's so thrilled. He runs in through the door, and the little bell rings, and the shop owner comes out, and he says, sir, sir, that's my boat. That is my boat in your window. Can I please have my boat? I made that boat. The manager of the pawn shop, he said, son, I'm sorry. I just bought that boat a couple of days ago, and if you want that boat, you're going to have to pay for it. But not being a hard-hearted man, he said, I tell you what, little guy, you give me one dollar, and that boat can be yours. Well, Timmy wasn't great at saving, but he did have a little piggy bank at home, and so he rushed home as fast as he could, and he popped the cork under that thing, and he shook it and shook it and shook it, and coins went everywhere, and he began to count. And he was feverish, and he didn't think he was going to make it, but finally, with the last penny, Timmy had one dollar. And Timmy ran as fast as his legs would carry him, and he got back to that pawn shop, and he said, here it is, mister, here it is, I've got it. And he throws coins all over the counter, and the old shop owner kind of grins, and he pulls that little boat out of the store window, and he hands it back to its proud creator and owner. And Timmy's walking out of the store, and he makes this declaration, you are mine twice. First, I made you. And now, I bought you. And friends, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is the declaration he makes over your life. You are mine twice. First, I made you. I formed you and I fashioned you. But sin and Satan took you to the slave market and that's where you stayed. Until the day, by faith, you cried out to me, you surrendered, you let go, you raised the white flag, you said, I cannot save myself, I am not good enough, there's no way I can work my way to you, O God. And in that moment, through my finished work at Calvary and the empty tomb, I bought you back. That is redeemed. Now, have you trusted him? Man, are you thankful? Are you grateful that God has bought you back? Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed. What's the last line? His child and forever I am. His child and forever I am. How long does eternal life last, y'all? Forever. So once you are saved... You are sealed, you are secured, you are kept 
forever. The Apostle Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that before we take and eat of this bread and drink of this cup, the third cup, the cup of redemption. Maybe some of you didn't know that. I didn't know it. Maybe you've learned something today about that special cup that you're taking. And maybe in your heart today you'll pray a little extra prayer for those who have that fifth cup sitting at the table. A cup that's already been fulfilled. For Elijah has come. Messiah has come. But if you would take just a moment with me and close your eyes and bow your heads for just a second. The Bible says that we are to examine ourselves. First, to make sure that there's no unconfessed sin in your heart and life. Jesus has cleansed it now. Listen, if you're a Christian, it's paid in full. But let's confess that. He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's make sure, yes, I am redeemed. I am born again. I have followed through and been baptized after I was born again. And if you haven't, okay, let's nail that down today. But do not partake of this bread and this cup in an unworthy manner. The Bible says you will eat and drink judgment upon yourself. But simply examine yourself. Check out your motives and your attitudes toward the Lord, his supper, other believers, this world. And when you've confessed any sin or improper motive, you're ready to share. So let's just take a moment in the quiet. Father in heaven, this is a holy moment, a special time when our brothers and sisters gather together. We partake of this bread and this cup, the cup of redemption. We are grateful for the cure who is Christ. We acknowledge the curse, sin brought death, but we choose to eat. Not the fruit of Eden's tree, the fruit of Calvary's tree. And every time one made in your image is redeemed, just like little Timmy rejoiced, there is rejoicing through the halls of heaven when a sinner repents, says yes to Jesus. There's a grand heavenly party that takes place. And I pray today, even when we give that invitation in a few minutes, I pray today that some folks will come, see a pastor, a counselor, nail it down, get it right, do it your way, not their way. But in this moment, we want to have hearts that are ready to receive this blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would please take your cup and open just the bread side and take out that small wafer. I've shown you the images of this bread already, so I'll not, we don't need to do that again necessarily, but I just want to remind you that this is coming to remember Jesus' broken body and shed blood. And on the night before he was betrayed at the conclusion of the Feast of the Passovers, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it, and he said, this is my body given for you. And you know the characteristics now of this bread, this bruised, this pierced, the striped 
bread. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the broken body of Christ. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for being willing to take the lashes, the thorns, the nails that rightly belonged in and on us. Thank you, Lord, that by your broken body we are made whole. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So he said, this is my body. It is broken for you. And in teaching his disciples, he quoted from John chapter 6. And he's talking about that heavenly manna that sustained the forefathers in the wilderness. And he said, this, his body, is the bread which came from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. You'll turn your cup and remove the other side. And if you're at home with whatever your elements are that you may have, we hope that you'll have your wine, your juice, whatever it is, ready to partake with us. On that same night, our Lord took the cup, this third cup, this cup of redemption. He blessed it. He distributed it. And he said, I want you to take this. This is my blood. It is the new covenant. Heavenly Father, we pray yet again. As our Lord asks you to bless this cup, so do we. We do not believe, Lord, that this magically and mystically turns into your blood because the sacrifice has already been made. You don't have to continue to be sacrificed. It was finished. It is finished. It will always be finished. That is what the language indicates. That is the power of your sacrifice. But we are thankful for particularly this cup, this third cup, this cup that demonstrates we in Christ are redeemed. In Jesus' name, amen. We read in Hebrews 9, according to the law, I may say almost all things are cleansed with blood and apart from the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness, no remission. But then we read in 1 John 1, 7, if we, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.